You're listening to Arsenal Pass, a flesh and blood podcast for players by players. And all about strategy, leveling up, and the latest news in the world of Wraith. Welcome to Arsenal Pass. What's up, champ? <laughs> uh, <no>. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Welcome back to Arsenal Pass, episode 42. I'm Brendan Patrick, and I'm no longer joined by calling champion Hayden Dale. That is the old version. This is national champion Hayden Dale joining us. National champion Hayden Dale, welcome. <laughs> Thanks for having me on the show, Brendan. It's good to be back. <laughs> Honestly, I'm just such a fan. I'm such a fan, and I'm happy for you to be here. Anyway, we're going to be doing, oh, I mean, what you would expect. We're going to be going into Hayden's Nationals journey. The... Everything before the preparation, the tournament, and what the future is for this majestic man. But first, Hayden, tell me about your week in Flesh and Blood. Uh, played some Flesh and Blood this week. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think we can talk about it as we get into it. But yeah, of course, the weekend so was... Just a locals? Or yeah, just, just a locals. Just had a, I actually played at an armory last night, um, wow. which was cool. So post-ban, I was really keen to play because we've been testing for national so much i mean it's just kind of been the only focus i didn't really think about post band too much so uh i did some tweaks to reiner went along to my locals last night um it was, it was good i played olivia mirror in the last round and got extremely lucky uh with my opponent bricking on double ones to to take a bunch of their blood debt and then i managed to win so you know it was <laughs> uh yeah no otherwise yeah nationals this past weekend um we'll dive into it but just a, a really good a good week awesome experience and a, a great time yeah for me obviously i was spectating new zealand australian nationals it was really awesome i'm really happy that we got to do coverage because we you probably heard me say it was uh, verbatim that it was a tragedy so um very happy that we were able to watch it um, i've been doing some twitter spaces recently uh this is the arsenal pass account will tweet out the twitter space and we've been you know i've had um Tan and Grace, uh, as well as some others, come and watch watch party New Zealand Australian Nationals with me. And then I've done um, some spoiler episodes with the likes of Tarek Patel, and it's just been great. Like I really love that platform. We're going to continue doing it. Um, that being said, I do have a shout out for this this week. I never do shout outs. We that was our rule of our something. We're doing some today. Don't worry. We're doing some no, today. <laughs> no, but I'm I'm straight up breaking the rules because I watched a video from the Tall Timmy. And it was the funniest flesh and blood video I've ever seen. So he is, uh, he's on a call with Hayden Dale and oh my God, I was laughing out loud. So go check that out. It was freaking hilarious. <laughs> I, I just, so good. Oh my God. Um, but Hayden, let's hop into the news. Yeah. Yeah. I was, first. Yeah. I, was I, I put you first this time for obvious reasons. <laughs> yeah. Throw me off. So I got to say congratulations to our new national champion winners in uh, New Zealand's Nick Holding and some other guy in Australia. Um, you can find coverage of both events on YouTube. Fab TCG YouTube has the New Zealand's up now with up now with commentary, and Fluken Box has the Australian cover coverage for both days. So check it out. It was a uh, it was an awesome experience, right? Um, I really enjoyed the top eights of both, and it was I mean New New Zealand in particular. Like obviously Australia was cool. I'm not trying to play it down, but New Zealand was really was in particular was really cool because there's like a lot of household names. It were on stream all the time. So it's like, I feel like we've been talking about a lot of these players for, you know, like a year or so. And so many people have entered the game since then. Now they finally get to see 
you know, who's this Kale McCreeth I keep hearing about? Who's this Matt Rogers? And um, yeah, you could see them all duke it out in the in the New Zealand. So I really enjoy that. Check out the stream. Yeah, and a huge congrats to Nick Holding. Um, I actually haven't had the the privilege of meeting Nick. I don't think our cross our paths have crossed uh, at the Auckland calling I went to last year. But I've you know heard a lot about him. I've seen him play. Uh, the we saw Nick playing on the Blitz Blitzathon stream, uh, playing Wizard after he won the he won a, a PTI I think maybe with, at a Blitz event or he won the Blitz side event at the Nationals a year earlier Is I think. The of Ether? Yeah, I, I couldn't remember if it was Nick Holding or Nick. Adson or Adson. No, he's a Katsu um, player. The other Nick, Nick, Nick Holding okay. is he's the you know he's the one that oh, James yeah. White dubbed the first to cry of Ether, and now he's uh, he's donned the prism. But yeah, just an awesome result for Nick. So um, good, great to see him. You know, just continuing to to build on his early success and and take out New Zealand Nationals in a, a really cool final as well. Um, so credit to both him and him and Matt. And yeah, like you say, having the the commentary as well for the New Zealand um, coverage was fantastic and. Just a big shout out to Fluke and Box as well. Um, you know, to 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 John. He was asked, I think, like two days before, if he could organize coverage because something else fell through, or they wanted to do coverage, and and he just got it sorted. So, you know, it's cool that Australia got to have coverage because there probably wasn't going to be if it wasn't for him. So, yeah. Otherwise, in the news, uh, farewell events for Welcome to Raytheon on this weekend. Uh, I know I'm going to a few. Brendan, are you playing any this weekend? Yeah, I'm going to one um, over here at Reaper Game Store with uh bill nice so, should be fun you'll be drafting I've been, I've been setting up on, uh honestly i think that you know nobody else really knows about that archetype so i might be able to get away with it but you know i've been setting up on my welcome to wraith drafting videos by mr hayden dale and i feel prepared good to hear well yeah i'm off to a few as well as brendan says if you do want to check out some of those videos i did load some videos up onto the arsenal pass youtube talking about you know, the draft format for Welcome to Wraith and all the different heroes and um, the archetypes that you can draft into. So, yeah, be sure to check it out if it's something you're interested in. I'm excited to go and I'm actually doing a Welcome to Wraith draft tonight as well. Uh, so there's a store near me that's running a, a Welcome to Wraith draft and then heading along to the farewell events this weekend. Spoilers. Spoiler season's in full swing, right? It's been a it's been a hectic week uh, already. What are we, three days in by the time we record this? And we've had a lot of spoilers already. We've seen generics. We've seen class cards in particular for Brute, Warrior, uh, we saw a two-cost arrow already. I think we're going to talk about a couple of spoilers further down. But yeah, up on fabtcg.com, there is the full spoiler gallery and as well as the release schedule for who's releasing what. I think that usually gets updated two days before people release and you can see what's been done so far. So yeah, some really cool cards. And I mean, personally for me, like the the first few days, I was like, oh, some of these cards are cool from an art perspective. But the last few days, the art on some of these cards has just been like phenomenal. Every, I feel like every set just steps up. So um card gallery high quality images you can go look at those excited to get my head around uh all the items you know so many items there's, i mean there's just so many and it's like items have historically you know uh they're they've been tough to run in these metas but it's like with the what we expect to be a shift in the meta right a shift away from kind of plunder run hyper aggressive i wonder if they'll be more playable or if you know the the power level on these is just so high or it's in combination with another card we haven't seen yet that this you know be very popular to have a lot of items in your deck yep we'll have to talk about those soon do want to call out our spoiler is going up at 7 a.m eastern standard time on friday morning that's 11 p.m for my australian brethren and 1 a.m saturday morning for new zealand hard to pick a time that works we have a set day and we have to pick a time there so that's the time that that I've chosen. We recorded the video yesterday. 
just a, a short video releasing our spoiler and talking about it. it's a really cool card so we do also want to talk about it um so that'll go up on on the youtube and we'll, we'll tweet out the the little uh blurb and the, the card as well so you can see our reveal when that goes live uh, in case you don't want to watch the video otherwise um yeah i would just want to to call out i said shout outs this week right brennan you you gave a shout out already to the tall timmy um for his great video i don't know if anyone if you saw this i think you might have seen it but there was also an animated video that someone made uh of mm. the final match which is the effort in that video is amazing um i'm not sure the person who made it but they've done a great job it's on the uh facebook page for flesh and blood i might even drop the description uh the link down in the description here so everyone can see it as well it's such a it's such a cool effort someone's gone to 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 make this animated video, uh, old time versus viscerae, but also just wanted to shout out to Flake. Uh, I joined Flake on his podcast yesterday. We talked about his spoiler card, which is an item as well, uh, Brendan, a pretty cool item actually as well. That's a recursive kind of style. I've forgotten. Uh, I think it's called is it Amulet of Oblation. I can't remember the name of it, but it it puts an attack action on the bottom of your deck uh, instead of putting it to the graveyard, uh, which is quite cool at instant speed. And then also I spoke with Taylor and Isaac yesterday on the Attack Action Podcast, two, two very good friends of ours uh, who do a great job. Just wanted to shout, shout out those guys as well. We had a cool discussion, a little bit about nationals, a little bit about spoilers as well, um, which was, was great to do. Are you doing the post-nationals victory tour on everybody's <laughs> podcast? I'm just chatting to our friends and to people in our community, you know, and, and we talk a little bit about nationals. We talk a bit about spoilers. Uh, we actually, me and Flake talked a lot about the banning and restricted announcements from two weeks ago and just kind of... The retrospect after Australia and New Zealand Nationals, which was a cool conversation to have. Um, so, yeah, talking about a lot of things. Yeah, sure. If you guys want to book Hayden, you can email me at arsenalpassfab at gmail.com. We do have a $50 cover fee, and there is an additional $30 for each hour. But hit me up. He is available, and I'm your man. So I would say check out Hayden's deck guide, his Nationals winning deck viscera guide on the Arsenal Pass YouTube channel. That video is absolutely blown up. There's tons of love in the comments, and I think for an appropriate reason. The man did it, and the deck is all. The deck is really cool. It's, it was my favorite deck uh, post Orlando, and I think that Hayden does a great breakdown of showing you kind of how to play that deck and how it functions. Finally, Patreon shout out. Thank you all so much for supporting us on Patreon. We're actually over 400 patrons now, um, which is funny <laughs> because we did make the changes to our content, and um, yeah, it's it's an interesting correlation. But obviously, Hayden did win nationals. So that's awesome. But if you're interested in the Arsenal Pass Patreon, we do have extra content there, including deck guides, extra pods, deep dive videos, and access to our community Discord. So check it out if you want to get in touch with us or support us in any additional way. It means the world to us. Definitely, yeah. Spoilers. Yeah, let's talk about some... We've got to talk about some previews, some of the preview season. Um, there's some really cool cards. I just uh, pulled up the, I guess, the what the preview gallery so far. Uh, and there's just a couple of cards that I wouldn't mind discussing. Uh, anything you want to start with, Brendan? Mm. So I'm going to start with Kraken's Aether Vein. Uh, yeah, because you, you tweeted have... about this and you lost your mind. So have you had time to calm down and maybe think that this card is... What do you, what do you actually think about this weapon? Let's, let's read yeah, it first. So what does it do? What does it do? For sure. Um, so it's a wizard weapon, staff, two-hander. It's that majestic. Um, and it says, once per turn, instant, three resources, deal one arcane damage to target opposing hero, draw a card for each arcane damage dealt this way. So Hayden, you mentioned you're a bit underwhelmed. Well, I'll tell you that this is the most broken card ever printed. I mean, this is Dustblade times 10. Honestly, it looks underwhelming right now. I think that we want a... 
It looks underwhelming, but I love it. <laughs> we want a way to buff the damage here, right? To draw multiple cards after paying three resources. This is great. This weapon is probably good against, you know, immediately when you look at it, probably good against aggressive decks, like people who are going to not be able to pitch uh, for your arcane or just, you know, extend their entire hand into you, right? So, like, uh, Wizard traditionally kind of has a problem, <laughs> or at least it has had a problem too, like in Blitz specifically, which is, I think, where it's more powerful. We can talk about CC uh, a little bit later as well. But in Blitz, like, <laughs> it was like you, your opponent could either play in smart, right? And they could pitch for, you know, important things like Aether Flare or um, Aether Spindle, like they would let you opt. Or they could just ignore everything and go face. And honestly, the second plan was kind of better. It was crazy. <laughs> so Wizard just didn't have a lot of way to a lot of ways to punish that, right? They had like Aether Flare. Um, obviously, they had the Stir Fork. They had the Spindle. Like I said, you can get that big opt. But I think that Wizard really needed more ways to punish the opponent for not respecting them. And Kraken's Aether Vein can do that, right? I think that we really want a way to increase its base damage that's doing to the opponent to draw more cards off that resource sink. But ultimately, if you're looking at something like a four blue hand or three blue hand and you don't really have like the piece you need, you can potentially filter with this, find the Voltic Bolt, um, you know, and stir and play it on their turn. It just helps fix some hands, um, honestly. Right now, without additional support, I think we might be running the uh, Crucible for a while. That's that's what it kind of seems to me is a it's a way to fix hands into you run a lot of blues in Kano, right? And often mm. you have four blues in hand, and it's like default is to flip a card, right? Is to I just flip Kano because I have four blues. Whereas with this, you have this now out outlet to pitch, deal the damage, cycle that blue card, and deal the damage while you cycle it. And potentially find the the red line card or the yellow line card that's going to help you deal some damage on that turn so yeah really really strong you also force the opponent to say well do you want to trade one card for my one card because mm -hmm. you want to pitch to arcane barrier and then uh the upside for the opponent is that you're probably going to play something afterwards and they can take advantage of that but you can also do it at instant speed right it is it is an instant speed activation right it is yeah, it's an instant speed yeah, activation. Yeah. So you can do it. You can do it on their turn. Uh, maybe they have one card left to Arsenal, uh, or they have no floating resources. You can do it on their turn and potentially turn one of your blues on their turn into something else, and then and then you have a lot of information to set yourself up for defending, and then what you might do on your turn. So yeah, the, the card is better than I think I thought it was when I read it, and was and then I immediately went and checked, you know, uh, nodes because I thought nodes was actually source. I thought nodes would have worked mm. on this, but nothing currently buffs this. Uh, they're being very specific with the templating, but I do think do still think the card is um, is good, and I'm interested to see how it gets used. Yeah, hopefully it's not an, uh, not another aether conduit. <laughs> no, exactly. Uh, I want to talk about hundred wins. So hundred wins is a ninja attack action. We're looking at the red line card here. It's at rare, so there's there's a cycle of these. Cost zero has three attack and two defense, and says combo. If hundred wins was the last attack this combat chain. This attack gains plus one for each other card named 100 wins you control in the combat chain and has go again. So if you've played 100 wins and then you play another 100 wins, uh, the next one's going to have four, the, the next one would have plus two. You know, you could be playing yellow or blue lines. But this is the first combo card we've seen that has natural go again on it, which is really interesting. Uh, and I think this is quite a powerful card and kind of a card that aggressive ninja decks have been looking for. is something that combos off of itself and is just naturally does a head jab uh, roll if nothing else so i think this card is yeah is an upgrade on the aggressive ninja decks and i think has potentially got a lot of 
play you know uh works with like belittle and stuff like this and stubby hammer is and yeah there's a lot of like interesting play space with 100 wins i think yeah i mean <clears throat> i think you hit the nail on the head with like the other cards that this can be used with uh, there's obviously they spoiled the <clears throat> winds of eternity you know the one that's going to let you kind of re re-put these into your deck or um the ones you use on the combat chain mm -hmm. which looks interesting i'm happy to get a aggressive line combo right because uh we kind of had a defensive one out of crucible of war and like you said the only combo card with go again inherently on it what do you think about the block value of two start yeah i mean you've got to balance this out for aggressive decks i think if this defended for three uh it would be very 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 good and has a lot of utility winds of eternity which is the majestic which is the card that combos off of 100 wins which says uh, combo if 100 wins is the last card on the combat chain wins of eternity gets plus two and shuffle as many cards named 100 wins from your graveyard uh, as a co sorry combat chain into your deck so you get to pull those back and that's quite a cool interaction it has base two so it comes in for four and it's a blue defense for three so i think it makes sense right it has natural go again so it's really powerful 100 wins so i think that kind of two defense value makes makes sense and it fits more into to aggressive style ninja decks yeah for sure Anything you want to go to? I have, I have two more that I want to talk about. Any anyone's particular you want to? So I'm going to quickly go over it because I don't want to spend too much time on spoilers. This will be my last one. It's going to be the Vex and Cool Hand. So we see mm. a Runeblade Equipment Arms at Majestic. This is going to read action, destroy Vexing, Quill Hand, create two Chant tokens, go again, and it has Arcane Barrier on it. So um, in a lot of matchups, I think that this, I mean, in most matchups, this will be a strict upgrade to Arcane um, Null rune, so Arcane Barrier 1 on the Null rune. That being said, you know, if you do use this and activate it, you are going to lose that Arcane Barrier, just like the um, the dash boots. That's nah, very, very good, especially at like creating two rune chants with Go Again on demand, not having to pay resource for it, resources for it. That's very, very good and aggressive and tempo style decks, I believe. Yeah, I, I think this card is has a lot of utility. It's something different as well, I think, than what we've seen. Uh, which is which is cool i'm yeah excited to play with it and put it into you know a, a viscerai aggro deck or a, maybe a chain deck um yeah quickly talk about two more cards there's, there's a couple of cards i could talk about like ad nauseum you could talk about bravo tool you know <laughs> for a whole episode probably yeah, uh, so sure. I'll, I'll leave that one but uh deja vu potion i think is a really cool card uh so i just i just had it and i just lost it so yeah deja vu potion is the Sorry, it's called Potion of Deja Vu. It says it's a zero cost at blue at rare. No defensive value. It's a generic action item. Instant destroy Potion of Deja Vu. Put all cards from your pitch zone on top of your deck in any order. And it says in brackets, opponents don't get to see the order of the cards, which is quite cool as well. So a real Kano card here, I think, in terms of, you know, being able to pitch some of your red or yellow cards that uh, you, you know, maybe you could even do something as simple as pitch your yellow um, or your red Voltic Bolt to your staff. You pop Potion Deja Vu, you put the Voltic Bolt on top, and then you Sonic Boom for four or something, you know, and you, you guarantee that you hit the Voltic Bolt on top. So there's, there's, that's just a simple thing. You could have a really big turn, a uh, big setup turn where you're doing multiple tomes or something, or you know, end up with like five or six cards in your pitch, and then you order those uh, in any way you want for a really good Kano or for a really good hand to draw next turn. So, uh, yeah, I think this card is just surely in some way, shape, or form slots into Kano um, and does a, does a really cool job. I honestly think it's incredible. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's I think very, this, card, this card potentially has a really, really high ceiling. I just don't know how high. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, like, I would imagine this would go into uh, go into my Kano deck immediately, especially in Blitz. That being said, 
man, four potions in that deck would be maybe, maybe tough. Who knows? Um, it's so powerful, right? Like if you are able to get four, because like, sometimes you do pitch four cards, like you do get up to that with, like Hayden said, if you're toming and stuff like that, mm-hmm. um, and you're able to fix that, that fifth card. So good. Yep. Yep. And then last one I just wanted to, I think is really interesting is pulverize, which is the new guardian, the biggest attack action we've seen so far comes in for 14 cost 10, uh, has heave as a new mechanic. So it has heave three at the beginning of your end phase of pulverizes in your hand and you have an empty arsenal zone. You may pay three and put pulverize face up into your arsenal. If you do create three seismic surge tokens, you're effectively committing your arsenal slot and putting three resources over into the next turn. This is exactly the sort of card I was looking for. For I've been talking about these kind of like more setup based guardian decks with the auras, and this is the kind of card that I was looking for to pay that off. Because uh, pulverize not only does it attack for fourteen, it also says when pulverize hits a hero, hits not crush, hits a hero. Their first attack during the next turn has minus four. So you know, with something like emerging dominance into this, uh, so to give it dominate. And maybe the new Bravo. That's a that's a really cool thing you can be doing. And you know you're effectively with that you'd be putting on a 21 point life swing because you give their attack minus four. You come in for, uh, for 17 dominate. So yeah, uh, excited to see what this what this card might do and and what Guardian kind of has moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm really caught up on Potion of Deja Vu. I, I was unable to find it in my spoiler things. Can you reread that to me real quick? Oh, of course you can't can't find it um so it's a blue generic action item doesn't defend cost zero instant destroy potion of deja vu put all cards from your pitch zone on top of your deck in any order this is so good man this is so 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 good what the heck so not even doing what i said where you're kind of stacking the next on your deck you do this like literally during your turn um and then put the voltic on top after you play the aether spin volcano it off and play that again like this is nuts and this is great for like something like Aether Flare. Oh yeah. my god. Oh, this is going Blazing. right back. This is so Yeah, it's oh my it's so good. Oh my goodness. Yep. Okay, sweet. I'm down. <laughs> Let's go. Do it. Yeah, no, it's cool. All right. Oh, well, I think that's some spoilers. We 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 want to talk more about spoilers. We could talk, I think, as I say, for a length of time about spoilers. Uh, I'm sure Brendan might be doing another Twitter spaces in the next week to talk about spoilers. I'll if so, I'll definitely try and jump on with you and and talk previews. I keep saying spoilers. It's a preview season, really, isn't it? Uh, and and discuss them. But if not, I think we're going to probably, we haven't discussed this, but I think next week we're probably going to talk about the set in its entirety and the impacts on Classic Constructed and, and what cards we think are going have the most impact. I'm guessing we're going to do that. We haven't actually decided, but I'm going to say it's probably yeah, what we're going to do right. next week. <laughs> all right, just book me in. I'm booking okay, you on in. To, yeah, on to the main topic of the pod, which is the champion, Mr. Hayden Dale. We're going to take a deep dive here. So, Hayden, tell me about the changes you made to your testing team, time schedule, and overall methods prior to this year slash this tournament. Because it's different, right? Yeah. Um, okay, so we're going we're gonna to talk about nationals, and, and I guess you want to start with some preparation and um, change of time. Yeah, so... I guess for me, the the kind of thing that changed was just it's so difficult being in different time zones, and especially now we're experiencing daylight savings. So for us to do testing uh, with like Southern Hemisphere and Northern Hemisphere is really really difficult. So just for like my own health and you know being able to sleep and and do the things that I need to on a daily basis, um, I have ended up not testing with most of the North American team this basically since I got back from Orlando. 
um, really end of last year. So my main testing has been done with with Damakai, who's in New Zealand, who's you know part of our testing group, and um, also just competed at New Zealand Nationals over the weekend. And then we've kind of done some a bit of like out of sync testing. So you know, me and Dam would often be testing together. Uh, he's who I've tested the most with. But then we're in discussions all the time in like our our Discord group with the the testing group about hey, like this is what we're finding in our testing. We're documenting our notes. This is like the matchups we've been testing. Hey, can anyone test this matchup? Uh, and then you know the the North American guys jump on for their data start, and they'll get in their morning testing and carry on from from where we were in test matchups. And so that's kind of what it's looked like. And um, it's just been it's it sucks to not you know to have the interaction, but honestly, for like just actually making it work, it's been so much better and um, been a good change. Yeah. So. You switched over to testing with mostly just Dan McKay. You had sort of this asynchronous schedule with the U.S. Uh, players as well. Um, I just want to go into just kind of expand on that a little bit, right? Because before, like before this year, your testing schedule was very erratic, right? You didn't have a set group, um, and you you weren't really doing it that much. But I I'm just going to go ahead and call this out because I remember when this started, right? You made a cognizant choice to get more serious about it, right? So you started doing it every single day, maintaining like that data integrity and focusing on, you know, trying to achieve something in every session. I think that was huge, right? Like you, I mean, obviously, like you said, your time schedule was funky. You were staying up late, waking up early. And like, I genuinely think that you were able to become champion because like you really put in the work this time, right? Like the first time around and the calling that like that, that was skill, right? That was just raw skill, maybe a little bit of luck. This time, I think it was hard work plus luck, and skill was probably the least relevant factor. And you know, I'm just really proud, right? Because I remember when we, uh, when you talked to me about starting that whole process, and then watching you go through it, maintain it, work hard, and ultimately achieve what we could probably consider to be like the final goal of 2021, even though it happened in 2022. Like, I think that's awesome, right? Yeah, it was a it was a good experience. Like it's it was something that definitely post um, or even pre Orlando, like for the wider testing team, like yourself and Dante. You know, it was like every day was testing, right? Like leading up to nationals and and that calling, and then uh, post the calling. I just I still committed to that because obviously I had my nationals. So yeah, it's been a, a good few months of testing, basically every day with our schedule or with my schedule, my new schedule, and and like you say, yeah, re- recording results, having discourse about the decks we're testing and. And how we want to attack the meta and um, more theoretical sort of conversations and discussion and yeah it's it's been a it's been a cool it's been an experience anyway it's been a journey for sure and at times you know it's been tough and it's not been easy but i do think like preparation like if someone said like what was the one thing that kind of helped you to win nationals this past weekend like it's definitely preparation like i just felt so prepared for this event which was um which is a great place to be in mm-hmm. So what was your process to find the deck that you eventually played at Nationals? Yeah, I don't know if it was like a set process. I think um, Orlando really influenced it. So we had like a really good idea of the meta after Orlando. There was a couple more, week, more weeks of Nationals in that kind of grouping after that where the meta didn't really change too much. A lot of Briar. Uh, we saw all time start to rise to the surface a bit just due to its, its, um, its strength against Briar. We saw Chains uh, and we started to see more Lexis. So... I think we had like a really good idea of what the format was doing post post Orlando and post that kind of November group of nationals. And then so we kind of had December and January to to work out what we were going to play, me and Dan that is for our nationals in Australia and New Zealand respectively. 
and decide what we you know the list was going to look like the game plan the matchup plans things like that so that's kind of where that started so initially kind of like the few weeks after orlando was like throwing decks at the wall okay like how do we beat briar is like the number one if we can't beat briar i don't think we want to play the deck because even if people find decks to beat briar people are still going to play briar like it's just really powerful uh and then it was like okay like channel mount heroic now becomes like the more prevalent version because people think it has a better game against old time so we're, we're testing things there where you know for me i was really keen to like i wanted to play viscera i had the deck with me in, in orlando i uh, just didn't feel like i had quite the right game plans against the guardians and didn't play it ended up playing briar but knew that i did if i could i would still want to play viscera if i could and seeing matt rogers top eight the event uh, with a more like sort of combo focused version i think gave us somewhere to start from as well to sort of come from that sort of end point and then maybe from where i was with a more tempo based version and find something maybe in between or, or more similar to, to matt's or whatever it might be but that's kind of where i know dan really started he was really keen on the deck so he played viscerae a lot more than me initially whereas i was testing out more things playing a lot of chain trying to get that to work uh didn't think it was consistent enough so kind of left that after a few weeks uh old time wasn't really my style so didn't even really touch that to be honest didn't feel like i wanted to play it we tried to tweak briar uh we played a bit more channel mount heroic sort of briar decks and we tried to play some more i guess um lightning builds that maybe could beat old time or get to have a better matchup against old time and then eventually sort of probably around christmas time after we'd done a lot of testing we were really starting to lean heavily towards like we thought this ride was the right option it gave us the best matchup spread we thought we had the best opportunity to tweak the matchup plans to be really confident across the board and have a deck that was really although it wasn't 100 consistent was more consistent than decks like chain or mount rock briar um but also had really good matchups into things like old time so yeah around that time we kind of lock it in and then the last sort of like three to four weeks is just like tuning the last few slots in the deck maybe the last six or seven cards in the in the list and just planning the matchups learning the matchups coming up with plans to beat chain which we thought was was like a, not a great matchup we came up with a plan for that uh, and just getting reps and just learning the matchups so that on the on the day hitting internationals it's kind of second nature when you hit into these matchups you just play it like a testing game Ideally. yeah <laughs> so i was going to ask you what other decks were you kind of in between but it sounds like it was chain and briar is that correct yeah, I think early on for me it was Chain. Um, felt like I had a list that I liked, but just, yeah, didn't feel quite consistent enough. And then Briar was kind of the backup option, I think, up until about mm, around sort of New Year, New Year's time. And then it was, for me, yeah, well, I'm playing Viscera. I'm happy to lock it in and I'm going to lock it in. Yeah. Throughout this kind of like rigorous schedule you're doing, like the daily stuff, did you ever consider kind of stopping, like just quitting? Just be like, ah, it's not worth it, right? um or was it just smooth sailing the whole time <laughs> no definitely not i yeah 100 percent. there was days where i was like oh i'm just like i felt like i was hitting brick walls with the testing where a deck we thought had a good matchup and then we retweaked some things and the matchup felt terrible or we started playing we got someone else to play it who had a better idea of how to play the matchup and it just wasn't what we expected there was definitely that in times where i was like oh the, what like what's the point i'll just play what I think is the best deck and just do away with most of the testing and just get a few more games and then just do it that way. Um, but I think just Dan was a big credit to Dan. Like Dan was like committed, like every, every night he was on his time and it's it quite, quite late for him and he was always committed to it. And I think that kept me committed to trying to find the best, the best sort of outcome for us and find the deck that, you know, we could tune and play and um, 
just honestly like i just and was enjoying most of it it was just at times it kind of sucked and was like feel like we're not finding we haven't found something that breaks the format we haven't found something that has amazing matchups across the board but in reality that's not actually going to happen you know there's no we're not in a chain meter anymore um so yeah there was different times of like should we drop this but no it was overall i think um you know pr pretty good there's just a few days where it was kind of you know frustrating some of the progressive feedback I was getting throughout that testing process was hilarious, right? We would, like you said, we would find a deck that we thought had a really good matchup. And then like a week later, be like, yeah, it's actually favored for the other player or for the other deck. And like it constantly was like the cyclical thing where you're trying to find the deck to play and <laughs> <laughs> it's just swapping between things. And it was like, damn, I just don't know what it is. And it's like every, in like every other week, there'd be like the new deck that was like the deck. And it was just so much better than everything else. And it would kind of get put back in its place. Um, but yeah, Viscerai, I'm happy that you ended up on Viscerai. That deck was, I felt like a super solid and we'll dive into a little bit more, like what the problems were with that deck and what strengths are as well. Um, the last question I have for you regarding preparation is that if you could just change anything about that preparation period um, for the tournament, what would it be? Like, what did you do wrong or what was... Um, you know, maybe not optimal. I think maybe trusted uh, our guts a bit more. We had this really, this gut feeling that we thought Viscerai was probably just the best deck, but I was determined that after playing a few games, I didn't think it was that consistent. So rather than focus on maybe how we could make that better and more consistent and come up with more consistent game plans, I started to think about other decks and I think I wasted my time on a few things. Uh, so probably just that, to be honest, just follow gut feelings a little bit more. I wish I was locked in or at least committed to testing the hero a bit sooner i think um but i think luckily kind of got bailed out by the fact that i'd played a ton of viscerai previously and also at the start of the tales of aria format so i had a good idea of where i wanted to take the kind of game plans and stuff for sure all right let's hop into the the deck here so what's your favorite part about viscerai and what opportunities does that deck provide to its pilot that other decks don't uh, first of all it's just super fun to play uh, it's it's really challenging. I think there's a lot of lines with this deck, a lot of different turn to turn, the micro decisions. Uh, there's there's so many of them just because of the 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 fact that you have this this combo oriented game plan, but you also have a really strong sort of um, tempo and um, proactive game plan as well that you can be following. So trying to decide which plan you play and why you play it, and it can hinge on the cards you draw, it can hinge on what your opponent does, uh, as well as how you sideboard and set up the deck. So that's that's one of the things about the deck that's actually i find that really fun and that's really challenging um but also that also affords you this whole thing of well you have so many different ways to attack the format you have so many different ways to interact with your opponent and to okay my opponent has really you know they're really aggressive and they they shut down my ability to trade damage with them but actually i have this ability to set up this kind of this semi-otk combo uh, that i can i can deal them a big chunk of damage with take the tempo all in one big swing and then finish the game out from there or actually the the combo is just so terrible into this prison matchup for instance and i need to be uh really aggressive but thankfully like i have the right cards available to me and i have the ability to do that uh with the deck so yeah i think the flexibility is the, probably the biggest thing that you get out of playing viscerai especially in the, the similar list to maybe what we're playing in the current meta yeah i totally agree i really love how it's able to kind of dynamically adapt to the <clears throat> to the hero that it's it's facing up against and as the Viscerai player, I feel like you have an essence of control in a lot of those games, not just the combo ones, but even the, the tempo ones. So yeah, that deck gives, I would say, if I could sum it up, that deck gives its pilot a lot of agency. So, also also gives you a lot of opportunities to lose the game, to be honest, to misplay yeah. and to, <laughs> to, to well, put yourself out of the game. But you know what? That's um, 
that's cool. I, I think it's one of the coolest parts about Flesh and Blood, and I want to play those kinds of decks. Uh, so, so I mean, like you said, you kind of front you front run me on this next one. But what do you think is the deck's biggest weakness? Uh, so you could say the 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 lines of play and how complicated that can be. But actually, the the biggest weakness might be that it's um it's it can it just can lose to itself. It has consistency issues to a degree. Uh, especially the heavier you lean into that that combo plan, the more consistency issues you can have. That's why I think trying to just straight up combo people with a full OTK is actually it's not great. Uh, it can be really dangerous and can result in you just kind of losing the game to the deck itself. So yeah, it's probably between the complicated nature of the lines and, and how you should play games and how easy a mistake can kind of derail you and just this like this idea that the more inherent um well, this inherent thing that the more you move towards that combo game plan, uh, the more you can find yourself just just losing to your draws and to maybe the opponent hitting the CNC on the wrong turn or whatever it is. Yeah. So what were you trying to accomplish when you picked Viscerai? What was your meta call and what decks were you trying to prey upon? Question. <laughs> so I think post Orlando, right, we knew... We knew about Briar was like the top deck. Um, we knew people were going to be trying to beat it as well. So we knew there was going to be Ultim. And that was like the two main things was like, okay, like how do we, what, what deck has a good matchup into Briar and also into Ultim. And to be honest, the only deck that felt like that for, for me and for Dan as well was, was Viscerai. Everything else we tried, we felt didn't have, so we, we really liked Lightning Briar, but we felt that we, we couldn't get a list that made us more than maybe like 40% against Ultime. So that felt like it was kind of out the window for us. We felt like if we were going to win a Nationals, we'd have to beat an Ultime probably in the top eight to be able to win a Nationals in this, in this meta. And same with a Briar. We'd probably need to beat a Briar, whether it be Mount Heroic or Lightning. And, um, you know, actually one thing that was quite funny is I thought like Chain had a good matchup into Briar, but after playing and learning that matchup, it, we were just smashing the Chain decks with Lightning Briar, like just left, right, and center. It actually just felt ridiculous once we learned the matchup a lot more. Um, it felt like Chain had to get really lucky to win that matchup. So that kind of just was like, okay, well, here's Viscerai. And then we just thought about how to i guess hit those game plans against the the three decks that we were worried about which was lightning briar uh channel mount heroic briar all time and then elixir uh, was kind of the next one sat in there and, and it was like let's focus on these four kind of pillars uh, and chain as well sorry let's focus on these four four heroes five sort of decks and just like tweak matchups to be as, as consistent as possible was the main thing just because of the decks inherent issues it can have and um and also just you know the power level that we or the plan we need to be on to make sure that we we win this matchup as much as uh, as possible as often as possible yeah i think that there's actually a third part to that equation which Vishwai um satisfies pretty well which is like you want to be good against what you see as the top decks you want to be good against briar you want to be good against the deck that's good against briar or the one that people are going to pick to try to yeah. counter it and then you want to be average versus everything else you don't want to have any like auto losses and stuff like this because at the end of the day even though it's a national championship there's still kind of a lot of decks in there, right? Like it's not super, super predictable. Like, I mean, specifically in like the United States nationals, we saw tons of people like not play a single Briar throughout that entire tournament when that tournament was statistically very saturated with Briar. So I think you need a deck that's like prepared for everything, at least on like an average, um, an average stance. Yeah. You need plans for every matchup. And I think interestingly, in my perspective, in nationals you can hedge a bit more against the top decks because you have draft and if you feel really confident about the draft format then you know maybe you are okay to have an x1 record and construct it or maybe even an x2 record if you're really confident that the top players are going to play certain decks and you feel confident that 
you can probably accurately predict seven of the eight sort of decks that would make and then maybe there's one wild card that hits in there um, which is actually what happened with ours in the end you know it was all time briar me on this and then there was a katsu that snuck in there so do you, you know i think you can be a little bit you can have a little more leeway with the decisions you make when it's not a single format when you have that dual format aspect but yeah i think in the end like for instance uh we played nalrun we didn't want to punt our match to kano we the probably the one matchup we were like uh um and i know this is your next question i've just read on the the the, the run sheet but the matchup i was worried about the heading into the most was prism we just tested that matchup and it felt abysmal um it felt like as long as the if the prism had played the matchup before uh and didn't get unlucky and we didn't get quite lucky it just was almost impossible to win that matchup um i actually ran into it in round two and i did draw quite well and um my opponent had like less of a great draw and i was able to win the game but yeah it was it's a really tight matchup even if you draw well and they don't and um didn't want to run into it <laughs> it was the one matchup where i feel like we didn't have enough spots to shore up we couldn't come up with a good enough plan that we felt we could win that game consistently yeah so i do have something to admit and <laughs> you know here at arsenal pass we've uh you know we haven't said too many good things about prism we've uh you might even accuse us of not talking about it enough. And you know what? That's out of the bag. Hayden and I have secretly been saying that Prism is absolutely busted and obviously the best deck. And I'm really surprised there's been no bannings, but we've been trying to keep it very uh, PR with you guys and you know direct you towards these lesser powerful decks like Chain and Briar. But secret's out. <laughs> Prism's the best deck. All right, let's talk about the tournament. Um, so how'd you feel hold, the day up? Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Much as, as much as you want to take the satirical take, Prism was a fantastic choice for Nationals this weekend, Whether, regardless of what you, you think of uh, the deck. And I know your whole thing is more that you don't like the playstyle of, of the light illusionist and Prism in particular, and there's, there's, there's people in that boat. But in reality, Prism was a fantastic shout and a huge, huge props to Nick uh, in New Zealand for, for picking up that deck and taking it. And there was, there was a few players in New Zealand on that deck. There was a few players in Australia. And it was, the, it was a deck that beats the deck that's trying to beat the deck right it's the third level in that kind of stage people are targeting briar this targets the deck that targets briar in terms of you know it's really good against all-time eviscerae um so i think you have to have some some fortitude to take that deck and, and make that decision and it can be a little bit risky because you could just run into a bunch of briars and that's that's gonna be very tough for you because that matchup is is abysmal but you 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 know if you feel again if you feel really confident in your draft for instance why can't I maybe 5-1-6-0 my draft? Maybe I 4-2, drop two games to Briar. I'm in top eight. And all of a sudden, there's all these guardians and stuff for me to prey on in top eight who have been preying on the Briars. Um, so <laughs> the satirical take, sure. But I also I also think big, big uh, props to people who took Prism. I think it was actually a great metagame call. Yeah, so I was mainly just trying to make fun of us for being um, wrong. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> Not mentioning the deck that has probably had some of the most had the most success in the professional circuit. Like it's been like almost unequivocally Prism um, to an extent. Like it's had champions. It's won events in both metas and in both metas. Like I think that both of us were like, eh, we don't really like that deck, right? Um, it's just funny, <laughs> like because like statistically we're just straight up wrong at this point. Um, yeah. So let's go ahead and talk about the tournament. <laughs> so how did you feel on the day of and uh, going into the tournament? Ah, it, our nationals got pushed back so much. We had our nationals cancelled in 2020. 
we nationals got pushed back from november last year to january this year to be honest just walking into the hall i was like I actually cannot believe this is happening that we're finally getting nationals was kind of my first first feeling on the day and then i was just like i was just excited to play i wasn't i actually didn't feel nervous or anything i just wanted to play flesh and blood and and play some some great games and um yeah i was just a excited to i think coming off the back of orlando very fortunate having been able to go to orlando and play a calling and as soon as i got home from the calling i was like cannot wait for the next like high level event to play more competitive flesh and blood and and um that that time was was this weekend so yeah it was just amped for it so roughly what was the class constructed meta breakdown um and what were your thoughts on that did anything surprise you yeah i don't know if i saw a day one there's a day two up on fab tcg and briar was the the i think it was about a third of the decks on day two but day one i think it was about yeah i think Briar was about 30 percent of the field on day one and constructed um which was about probably what we expected maybe people expected a little bit more briar to be honest than that uh that was majority channel mount Haroc. i think i think maybe eight out of ten or every eight out of ten briars you would expect to see channel mount Haroc's in them so a lot of channel mount Haroc builds uh i think the second most played I think it might have been Lexi, actually. There was a lot of Lexis uh, around the event, especially on day one. Um, there was a lot of chain, so there was quite a few chain players. Um, Guardian definitely showed up. Uh, quite a bit of Bravo, actually, but also also old time, uh, definitely sitting around there. And then I think after that, you really started to drop down. There was probably only one or two of some decks. You know, there was, well, I think there was three Viserai, I think. Um, you know, I think there was a Reinar in there. There was a Kano player who, who made day two. Uh, there was a, a real sort of mix uh, prism. There was definitely one or two prisms. So you started to get a mix after that. But the the predominant of uh, the meta was, yeah, Runeblades and Guardians, which is what we expected, and then Lexi as well. So I think it kind of conformed to probably what we thought, if albeit maybe some of the Briar players or what we thought might be Briars was maybe a bit more chain uh, and maybe even a few more like Bravo. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, story time. <laughs> Take me through Swiss. Yeah, cool. I'm um, definitely, and I, I'm going to give some some shout outs to some people along the way. Um, the first thing I want to say while we're talking about the event is the event was just like it was so well run. So the event was done by RC Crew Games, which is actually my local store. They ran the event and just did a phenomenal job of of running the event. Um, <laughs> of running the event this weekend, um, I got to meet a lot of people that I haven't met before or have spoken to maybe online or, or played in previous events here in australia and finally getting to see them again so just the whole weekend was just like a, a fantastic experience um and just wanted to give a big call out to just the the wider team in sydney as well um all of the the guys and, and my friends that play at locals here in in sydney australia as well um just a big shout out to, to all of them as well and then some some did really well like roy making the finals so yeah, talk about talk about the event itself. Um, heading into Swiss, I actually played against a Bravo. So it's, it goes three rounds constructed, then you do a draft, three rounds of draft, and then it's three rounds of constructed, and that's day one. So you got nine rounds on day one. So this was nine a.m. till I think like seven p.m. We went to or something like that. It was if not later. It was such a big day. Uh, it was nearly a twelve hour day, and then uh, the second day you come back for another draft, and then it's three rounds of draft, and then cut to top eight. So three rounds constructed. First round, I get paired up against um, Bravo, playing against Laura, who she's from Melbourne. Um, so, you know, another city here in Australia. I actually played, last time we played, we played at a final of a skirmish uh, here in Australia, I think like six, seven months ago, early early last year. Uh, so, you know, I know she's a good player. We haven't played in a while. 
Um, and th- this is one of the hardest matchups I had a weekend, to be honest. I thought I was going to lose this game. I was so far behind. I think I was on like 16 life or something with like eight room chance and, and Laura was up on like 47 life or something. Like I thought I was just kind of done and dusted. Managed to like pull it back using some equipment and, and bring it back and, and um, do a sort of combo turn and, and get back into the game, which was really cool. So yeah, played against Bravo, went for like a semi-OTK strategy, was a bit ropey, but ended up getting the win. Um, played against Prism in round two. So already getting like the dreaded matchup round two that I'm like not wanting to see um, and ra- already in round two. Play like a tempo plan into this, as I said earlier, get you know, but fortunate in my draws. Um, I think on turn, I go first turn one, make some rune chance. Turn two, I think I come in for 23 damage on like a, a Morphin Skies, Spellblade, Mordred turn, um, which works out really well for me. So get the get the win there. The last round I've constructed, I play into um, like a friend of mine, David, uh, who's playing Lexi. He's playing Ice Lexi. Uh, I was very fortunate that during my testing, uh, Isaac Jessen from the Attack Action Podcast actually helped me with some Lexi testing. So got to play into top eight US Nationals competitor, um isaac to help me prep a little bit and so i knew the matchup pretty well and um fortunately sort of did a pretty big combo turn and then kind of took the game from there and then we hit into draft which i'm feeling good about so i'm, I'm feeling happy that i'm 3-0 at this point kind of got the the round two was a little bit nervous after playing that prism but kind of got you know some of the nerves out of the way feeling good about draft have done i think at this point in testing i think i got through like nearly 20 around 20 um drafts feel pretty confident about what I want to do in draft. Um, my kind of, I don't know if you want to know, Brendan, my thought process going in is Earth is probably going to be overdrafted. Mm-hmm. Guardian and Bray are probably going to be about right, or they'll be the three heroes probably. Generally, my expectation is probably going to see three Ultim, three Briar, and two Lexi in most pots. So I'm yeah. sitting there thinking, probably want to be in lightning lexi it's a deck i've drafted quite a bit it's one of my favorite decks in this format i don't think it's necessarily the most powerful but i think you get really rewarded for people under drafting certain cards like invigorate like people valuing that card low just lightning often being under drafted and lexi maybe being under drafted hmm. i hitched some like earth card. i think i get, like first pick like an earth or surge or something um take a couple of earth cards i take a i think i take a red frazzle like pretty early i take some lightning cards and then i get past i think a sixth or seventh pick turn timber um and i'm like okay well like it looks like i'm being past earth bravo here and i take that and then i kind of commit to it when i probably should have tried to keep myself a little bit open i end up in this kind of ice with a bit of earth bravo deck because ice ends up being a lot more open on the wheel and into pack two um but Lightning ended up going around really late. Uh, Lightning Lexi was like super open at the table. And so, you know, funny enough, the deck that I probably wanted to play was there and, and don't end up playing, end up in this old time deck in, instead. Really interesting. I actually, um, I do agree with you. I, I think that Lexi is like very underdrafted, but I actually think that Frost is usually, um, it's usually underdrafted mostly because at least when I played, it might have changed since, right? Briar was so heavily overdrafted that Lightning would get drafted as well as a result, right? And you know, even when we switched into old him, like those old hymns are generally like heavily prioritizing uh, Earth picks um, as well as class cards. So I agree with you on the Lexi, but I would have erred. I would have thought, you know, back um, that Ice would have been um, the least drafted. I think old times popularity's ro- risen a lot, and the people are starting to realize just how good the blue ice cards are. Uh, the rest might be a bit so-so. My other problem with with uh, and and ice did end up being open, and that's why I end up being in this old time deck. To be honest, 
my problem with ice and lexi is that i just don't think a lot of the cards are very good <laughs> so i think like weave ice and ice quaker are fantastic cards but they're rare and the commons you know the common attacks like um let's see i don't even, i i like the other rare the frost fang that card's great but like the other ones like icy encounter and i've even winter's grasp like i'm not big fans of those those cards chill to the bone um i like in lexi to have like one maybe two of those i actually prefer to have it in just like a lightning lexi though and just play it into the mirror or into briar um so yeah anyway i had a lot of thoughts about the format and um what ends up basically happening is i think i, I just lose a little bit of my fundamentals when i sit down for that for that first draft and probably um probably just make some mistakes in some of my picks and end up with what i would probably if i was grading the deck out of a 10 i'd probably give it like a like a 7 out of 10 it was a, it was a solid deck it was good um, I felt like I could two one the pod with it. I end up, I do end up two one in the pod with it, uh, but yeah, it wasn't wasn't the best deck I've drafted. That's for sure. Yeah, <laughs> been there. <laughs> so end up, yeah, first draft's done. End up at at five and one, and then we go into three more rounds constructed. At this point, it's like I don't know, it's like almost dinner time. So I'm starting to really feel it. Uh, my first round of constructed, I play. Oh, what do I play in the first round of constructed? Lucky I wrote down my my pairings you know so i could uh easily look at what i end up playing against so in round six i end up uh, playing against a mount heroic briar uh played by matt clark who's i think a very good player in australia i think one of australia's best to be honest i end up losing i end up losing to matt twice over the course of the weekend i end up losing to him in my second draft as well he's two of my my four losses um playing a mount heroic i it's such a weird game i end up like losing the game with 24 rune chance or 21 rune chance or something in play um, but I just couldn't find the Sonata to combo off and then sort of take the game away after Matt has like a really slow start. Uh, I just can't sort of capitalize and take advantage. And then eventually he finds a Mount Heroic turn. I think he comes in for, after playing the Mount Heroic, he comes in for like 31 damage the next turn um, and just kind of finishes me off. And that's the turn I find the Sonata, but it's it's kind of too late. So lose that. Um, feeling a little bit nervous at this point being, what am I at this point? Uh, four and two, right? I think then. So feeling a little bit, a little bit dicey um play into a another mount heroic briar next round um goes a bit better for me play a bit more of like a semi otk plan and then finish out the day i play into all time which i think is like a good matchup for me but i am up against nick butcher who if people are familiar nick and uh, is uh, matt rogers testing partner and i know they'll have a very good tuned deck and probably have a, a plan for this matchup obviously knowing the viscerai deck so well um and how much they worked on it uh t ends up going going my way going pretty well for me i do a full combo in that plan which is kind of the plan that we had anyway it kind of goes to a script um, i managed to finish the day at seven and two after nine rounds and then no i need to come back for draft on day two and, and get one win which will lock me for top eight um so feeling feeling all right as i head home albeit very very tired after after day one brennan mm. give me like the 10 20 second breakdown of that second draft on day two yeah uh it goes horribly basically <laughs> i basically do the same thing i did on day one i make the same mistake of of i keep myself kind of open but i i think that the signal i'm reading is is that uh earth is open not true um the i think it ends up being like one and a half lightning drafters at the table uh there's one lexi player two old time and five briar and you guessed it i'm one of the five briars so uh end up on just yeah just being having a so three cards left in pack three i need one card otherwise i'm playing a crack bauble and luckily i think a, a blue uh, entwine ice comes around which i can stick in my deck and i don't have to play a crack bauble so my deck's pretty poor 
but I do manage to win round one against another Briar. The good thing is if my Briar deck's bad, then probably four, the four other Briars are probably don't have great decks either. Um, and that's kind of how it turns out. I win my first round against another Briar. I uh, do lose my second two. But yeah, uh, and Matt, Matt punishes me with the Terra Sunder that I passed him as well uh, in the second round to, to you know, beat me twice in, in the Nationals. Um, but yeah, I end up at eight and four, which is uh, locks me because of my, my resistance, because of winning my early rounds, my losses being later, uh, and being sixth seed heading into top eight. A4, so you came in at like sixth, right? Yep, sixth seed, yep. Mm. All right, well, take me through the top eight. Take me through the gauntlet. How did you become, how did you win? <laughs> so I actually think me, so I end up my last round of draft, I I have the win, and instead of defending with two cards, I only defend with, I only need just to, I have Arcanic Shockwave, I confuse on my turn. So all I need is keep the Arcanic Shockwave, keep the Lightning card, and I deal the last point of damage with the Arcane damage to my opponent. I only defend with one card. Flips light. My opponent flips lightning press from Arsenal and kills me. Just so I'm about to kill him. So it was like a bit of a feels bad, right? I feel like I punted that one a little bit after my opponent. He played very well and put me in that situation. But then I feel like I kind of blew it a little bit. Uh, but it, what ends up happening is I end up in sixth. And I actually think I end up in the best spot I could for the top eight. I end up getting paired into Katsu for the quarterfinals, which I think is like very favored to Viserai and is a matchup I'm more than happy to play against um kind of goes as as it does in testing it tends to be that katsu can put some pressure on uh but you can uh, they can't defend you very well so as soon as you set up like even sort of a small 12 14 sort of rune chant scalata sonata turn you kind of take the game away from there which is is what ends up happening um and then semi-finals i play against uh harry who's a, a player from melbourne who's uh is a good player playing mount heroic briar and um uh, to be honest I, I get quite lucky in this matchup. So he's the seventh seed, I'm the sixth seed, so I get to choose to go first. Uh, start my turn, I go Mordred Tired into Become the Arc Knight, making two rune chants, going getting a read the runes and making six more and ending up on my first turn with eight rune chants. Uh, and so I think the game ends up ending on turn four. I just make some more rune chants and then just combo him off and then kill him the following turn after that. So just goes really well for me, to be honest. Jeez. The final. This is something that we all watched live. Um, I have some follow-up questions on it, but a lot of people, like you said, a lot of people are telling you that it looked easy, but you're kind of, in your opinion, it wasn't, right? In your experience, per se. Yeah, so I'm playing this old time in the final, which I knew, I know about, For I'm sitting around a lot on the top eight. My matches take about 15 minutes, but there's two old time versus Briar matchups, which are going to fatigue, so... I'm sitting around for a good, like, combined about two hours, I think, between my quarterfinal and then my semifinal and then my semifinal and the final is about an hour each, just waiting for the, the matches to finish. So I have a lot of thinking time about the matchup. Um, and so I'm, I know I'm going to be playing against probably either Briar or Old Time, and at this point it looks like Old Time just based on how that matchup goes. And traditionally Old Time is kind of like you want to OTK combo them. Uh, they'll come in and put a lot of pressure, like try and put as much pressure on you as they can, but... They tend to not be able to put on much pressure outside of maybe like E-Strikes and Art of Wars. It's very hard for them to go wide. Uh, maybe Pummel plus CNCs or if they're able to find Oak and Old Fuse turns. That's kind of the pressure they have. And to be honest, uh, you can just defend with the hands that you need to. You can use your life total as a resource to build your sort of one turn kill combo turn. Just build up room chance and then eventually you just combo them off. That's the plan, right? That's the that's the kind of planning against all time. But the... And this is, I think, really 
good and if people have seen the final um then this sorry because this conversation is gonna be more for people who have seen the final if you haven't you can go and watch it on on youtube at fluke and box but effectively what happens is a really weird final plays out um from a spectator standpoint which is where uh roy who is my finals opponent decides to not attack me in the game which looks really odd like why is he not putting pressure on the viscera player well if Roy attacks me, what ends up happening is that I get to defend with some cards in my hand, I get to filter out the attack actions from my hand by defending with them, and then playing my non-attack actions to make a rune chance, drawing up my next hand, doing the same thing. So my deck is about 50% attack actions and non-attack actions, and as the turn plays out, each turn plays out, the turn cycles per turn play out, I get to make a rune chance and defend with attack actions, keeping my deck at about a 50-50 ratio, and then eventually I get to a combo turn and can go off and kill him, um, especially if he's only at 40 life, right? Roy has a different plan for this matchup. He knows his deck is really defensive. He doesn't play Art of Wars. Uh, he doesn't have a very strong, aggressive plan. So instead, Roy has this plan that he's come up with, which is he has three Tom of Fiendale in his deck, and he's just going to use his Crown of Seeds to cycle and at the same time stack his deck. He's going to be stacking his deck so that when he gets back through to that stack, he's going to have set up, you know, fused oak and old, CNCs with pummels, things like this. And he's not going to allow me to filter my hand. He's not going to attack into me and he's just going to filter until he finds the Tome of Fiendals and he's just going to gain a bunch of life up to close to 60 life. And that's going to make my job as the Vizero player trying to combo him on one turn really, really difficult. And what can actually happen in that matchup with that plan is I can just run out of ways to make room chance or uh, my hand gets clogged with all attack actions because he's not letting me filter my attack actions by defending and I can't do anything. I literally can't do anything other than having to attack, losing all my room chance, Roy being able to defend out pretty efficiently. I'm back at square one and probably don't have enough like proper damage left in my deck to actually kill him. So the plan, if you've seen the matchup, looks really, really weird. looks like it doesn't make any sense, but um, is actually really smart from, from Roy. And uh, had I not known about that plan, I think I'd probably lose that matchup, to be honest. Fortunately, I know about the plan. And um, for the first five turns of the game, if you, if you watch, I just dump my hand into Grasp of the Arknight. And just make room chance with the grasp of the arc. Now, I don't actually play a card for the first five turns. So this is kind of a natural follow-up question. I think a lot of people have. It's like, uh, let's picture the scenario. You have all attack actions in your hand. The old hand doesn't want to attack you because that will allow you to filter your hand. Um, you know that if you attack, you will lose the game. There's no way you can win the game. So you both just kind of pass and nobody does anything, right? The old hand wins because he has more life, right? Uh, no, so it's a, it's a time, it's an untimed matchup. So, uh, players do need to make plays. So because the old time player is progressing the game, they're ticking up their tunic each turn. They're using crown of seeds. They're filtering their hand. They're making actions. If I get to a point where I have all attack actions in my hand and I'm doing nothing other than just passing the turn back, cause I can't do anything. I don't have, I've got too many room chance to dump into grasp of the arc Knight. The only thing I can choose to do is attack, pop my room chance and come in at some point very likely and this is this is a kind of a bit of a weird area in the rules but if i'm not progressing the game state at some point the judge can say i need to progress the game state so i, I could be on my own as to actually progress the game state because the ultimate player is they are they are stacking their deck they're doing this but what would have actually ended up happening is eventually roy would have played all three times if so if say i did have four attacks in my hand and my arsenal i i ended up putting an attack in there because i had to or i put a reduced a rune channel whatever because i didn't know about the plan Eventually, if I just decided to do nothing and pass, Roy would gain up to 60 life and then he would just have a stacked deck and then he would just come in every turn with like pressure with CNC's pummels, with fused oak and olds, with like just put me under so much pressure that I wouldn't be able to make a rune chance and maybe, maybe I scrape being able to get to enough to, to go off. 
But at that point, he's on 60 life. And if you saw the game, I wasn't able to OTK him. It took me a second turn to kill him. Uh, and my when I Sonata in that game, I end up 18 cards as my Sonata and I get five cards off of it. And it looks really unlucky. But in actual fact, it's not that unlucky because I have a ton of attacks in my deck and not many non-attacks because I've been playing them all. So it's about it's about right. So that 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 would be what ends up happening is that I probably just fail to to deal enough damage and then Roy just kills me with all of his big attacks and stuff eventually. For sure. So <laughs> why not Reaping Blade? Yeah. So it's an interesting game. It's a it looks I think with context it's it's a really interesting game from a strategy perspective it just you know i think it looks a bit a bit odd but um full credit to roy for playing why no reaping blade uh we didn't really have space for it to be honest in testing we didn't really want to play it the only matchup we wanted to play it into was old time and maybe bolton but even bolton we if we don't know that they're on the sabers combo we don't want to play reaping blade um and we knew that there was more sort of Ultim was moving a bit towards more aggressive decks. And we saw that with um, like Matt Rogers deck at New Zealand nationals that he's playing this more aggressive build. We knew people might be, might be playing that kind of plan into us and forgoing the life game because they expect Reaping Blade. So we decided we didn't want to play it. We tested the matchup without Reaping Blade. We felt we could win it. We were aware of the strategy, like of this kind of don't attack and just gain life. Uh, and we felt that we could still, could still beat it as long as we were set up for it and sideboarded for it. Um, and Rosetta Thorn is just so important in some matchups. The card's so, so good. And it freed up a space in the deck list for us. Mm. <laughs> what did you think about the skill level and performance of the Australian field? Yeah, uh, played against a, good, a lot of good opponents. I don't think I had many, if any, easy games, which is, is, is crazy. I think... Um, not that I expected to have easy games or anything, but I just think that a lot of my games were were tighter. People played to their their outs and played to their lines a lot more than I've experienced in the past. People were familiar with more familiar than maybe I would have thought with what my deck was trying to do. Uh, to the point where I had I had two opponents over the course, three opponents actually over the course of the event playing Briar, who had chains of eminence and were like playing it to name read the runes so that I couldn't um, stack read the runes and get on an OTK plan. So like there were people who had a plan for the matchup, whether right or wrong with that plan, with the chains of eminence, whether that's good, you know, a thing that works well or not. They had plans and they had tested this matchup. So yeah, I mean, and just the performance in limited people's um, procedural gameplay was 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 quite solid. So yeah, definitely no no free wins to be had. And um, you know what? There's 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 some really good players here in Australia. That's for sure. Sure. Put out a um, a Twitter post asking for questions from the audience. I got one. That's, Did you? Yeah, people have been, yeah, people have been insisting. Uh, this one particularly came out a lot. Uh, I think this is from Billy. So Billy asks, uh, everybody's burning question. He literally writes that and he says, is North America confirmed a harder region than Australia now? I think this is in the context of, um, you know, you being the champion. But then when you got over to America, couldn't really make it. These are <laughs> his words, not mine. <laughs> Well, you know, when I headed over to Orlando, I wasn't expecting it. I just went with 10 days. It's not like I prepared for the event for a long time and then didn't make day two or anything. Um, so, Billy, uh, you know what? <laughs> but Billy, uh, there's some really good players in Australia. In all seriousness, there's some, some really good players in Australia and there's some really good players in North America. And I'm excited to get through this ProQuest season and see what happens at the first Pro Tour when we have... We have a number of players headed to the first Pro Tour from Australia. I'm almost certain of it. We're going to have a number of players in North America. And I don't think Australia is going to disappoint. Um, that's for sure. I think there's some some really good players. And I, 
I've had the same experience in the US at the calling. Uh, I played against a number of very, very skilled opponents who hadn't even been playing the game that long. So who knows how good they'll be in, you know, another six months time. Well, you heard it here, Billy. Hayden has confirmed that that is, that is indeed correct. So let's talk about the future. <laughs> the national champion is next. Um, I guess the Pro Tour. The first Pro Tour is, is on the horizon. I think we're going to get an announcement in just a few days, actually. I think the 1st or the 2nd of February, we get an announcement on the very first Pro Tour. So, yeah, that's definitely on the horizon. Uh, World Championship at the end of the year. Just to continue to play Flesh and Blood, I think. Um, it, it definitely felt great to achieve the National Championship and to, and to win the trophy and hold that hold that aloft. But it, do, it feels, doesn't feel like I'm kind of done. feels like I definitely want to continue to compete and I have this like bug now for, for competitive Flesh and Blood, I think, that's not going away anytime soon. ProQuest season starts in a couple of weeks. Definitely going to be getting to a few ProQuests. It would be nice to have a dedicated invite for that for that first pro tour and, and maybe save these two PTIs I now have um, as a bit of a crutch. So, and then also just the ability to play these pro quest season, continue to play within the Australian community. As I said, some, some fantastic players here. Uh, so competition is going to be high. It's going to be just great to be playing these events, playing competitive flesh and blood, and then hopefully some callings. Um, I'm sure we'll get some calling announcements over, over my side of the world, but I'm sure I'll be over in Europe or North America for at least a little bit of the year to play in a couple of events around the Pro Tour. So, yeah, I think just waiting to see the announcements that we get as we go through the next few weeks and, and make some decisions from there. But basically just play more flesh and blood and and um, keep doing what we're doing. So sounds like you are not uh, totally satisfied yet after your win. What do you attribute your success to, um, specifically your continued reign and not just becoming a has-been or washed up, like as the kids would say. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's nice to to be able to win something and feel like I'm still okay at the game, still reasonable. Must be nice. <laughs> Preparation, honestly. like the I think just preparing for this event, um, as I said, going into all of my constructive matchups, I felt like I knew exactly what I needed to do in that game. Um, when things didn't go quite right for me, I knew how I needed to come back into the game, was able to play to my outs. Uh, I think the draft preparation felt good. Ultimately, I think I underperformed in draft, but the, the preparation was there. I think I went 3-3 in the end. Um, but the prepara- yeah, the preparation was there. And maybe I would have, without the preparation, I you know I, I lose more games of draft, not just the, the ones that I did end up losing. So yeah, I, I can't go past. Can't go past the preparation, really. Prep was really important. How does it feel? National champion, Aiden Dale. You did it. You stuck your head in the ground, put your nose to the grindstone, and literally achieved the exact thing that you kind of set out to do. Yeah, good good way to cap off the the kind of 2021, I guess it's in 2022, but the 2021 season. Um, and just to, honestly, one of the best things was sharing that moment with my my friends from my local community around me, my, my local store, RC Crew Games, and and um, you know my friends that were were there playing in the event as well, and um, I got to play a friend in the finals. I got to play Roy in the finals, which was just an awesome thing to have as well. So yeah, definitely feels really good, and um, definitely riding that high this week for sure. Mm-hmm. Okay, so final question here, another listener question. <laughs> um, unfortunately, this one does want to remain anonymous, but they ask, "What is your secret to winning on stream?" Oh, is this from Patrick Brendan? 
Um, not seeing that on my end, but uh, do you know what the answer, sir? I I think I went two and two on stream. Did I? I don't know. I definitely yeah. lost at least. I lost. Yeah, I lost two games on. I lost two games to Matt. <laughs> Shout out to Matt Clark on the stream. Uh, and I think I won two games, one game of draft and then the finals game. So I don't know. I know how to go 50-50. That's about it, Brendan. So I, you have to tell this anonymous person. Um, they're going to have to ask someone else. Yeah, still 50-50 is a little bit better than um, 03 from what I've heard. Anyway, that was our interview of the new national champion of Australia, Hayden Dale, stand-up man himself. Um, I'm, really, I'm really happy. I think, it, I think it was awesome that, you know, a lot of things changed, like your priorities were set. There was a specific goal and that was achieved. And I think that for all of us that, um, you know, tested with you or part of that multi-month process, <laughs> there's some sort of vicarious gratification. And I think that, you know, you won for us. <laughs> it feels good. So I'm happy that it was done and I wish you the most success in the future. Yeah, the last thing I wanted to say is just a big thank you to you, Brendan, as well. You're a big part of of me continuing to play Flesh and Blood and, and um, of course, to Arsenal Pass, to our community, to our listeners, to our viewers. The reason that, you know, I continue to commit to Flesh and Blood and, and play competitively, it's not just now for me. I think it's it's um, the, the a big part of the reason I do it is for the love of, of what we do as well at Arsenal Pass. So, yeah, just wanted to give a big shout out to, first of all, you, Brendan definitely and also to to our community thank you for all the kind words as well from everyone as well it's been too too kind but thank you so much yeah it's a bit hot in my room i think i'm sweating out of my eyes right now which is really unusual but i want to plug the arsenal pass youtube channel like i said we do have some really cool content went up there you got what farewell welcome to rate this weekend check out the videos that hayden did they will help you crush your local scene i know i'm gonna be watching them or i'm just gonna force yellow bellow we'll see um and obviously he did the viscerai deck tech for the deck that he took to nationals and he won with um i think that this deck is something that should be on your radar especially going into the next format um you know we have some pretty significant bannings that have happened in erratas and viscerai this deck particular in particular wasn't really touched by it and i think it has some of the strongest um pieces of utility in the game including its boots and just its modular game plan um being able to kind of adapt to anything that's across the board so i think it can really only get better unless something else gets much much better so check it out it's an awesome video and again congratulations hayden Till next time see you in the next episode see you later